It just in their in their mind, it just there's no way you, that this water is going to move out of the way. Anybody ever felt like that in a situation? You're like, there's just no way. This is not possible. This will never happen. But what did God told that man of God to just? And he didn't, he didn't even know what God was going to do. He just told him to tell him, don't worry. I brought you this far. I'm not going to leave you. And so he just did what God told him to do. He just held that staff up. He had no idea what was about to happen. That's what I believe. And when he started seeing that water splitting, he said, okay, God is truly in charge. Amen. So you ever get into a situation, and we all do. We get we get face-to-face with things that we think are just an impossible situation. How am I going to get around this? But God brought them to that place, didn't he? So because he wanted to show himself great before his people. So they would trust that he was really on their side. He's really on our side today. Amen. He wants what's best for us. Did you ever tell your kids, this is what's best? <laughs> they might not have liked what it was. We, when we were kids, this, this is the best thing for you. But it doesn't feel good, Mom, I know. But this is what's best. Sometimes we, what's best is not always what's most comfortable. Right? But God knows what we need. And I don't know about you, but I want him to, to do whatever he's got to do. He's listening to me right now as I say this. Do whatever you got to do to make sure that, I, that everything that in, in me that is not like you, that it gets purged out. That's kind of an open-ended prayer to pray. But do you want anything left in you that's going to hold you back? I don't want any attitude, any spirit, anything that, that, that I'm harboring that maybe I don't know about I'm harboring. I want it all to be brought to the surface, God, whatever it takes for me to be saved. Amen? Amen. And there's a lot of other people out there that aren't within the sound of my voice this morning that need to know that. And how are they going to know that? I'm not going to answer that one for you. (laughs) You answer that for yourself. How are they going to know? Somebody had to go out of their way to to be there for us when we were at that point in that valley of decision. Somebody spoke a word to us. Somebody encouraged us. Somebody took the time to say something to us and to care about our soul and so freely you have received what's the rest of that scripture say freely give don't hold it in don't keep it to yourself right there's there's plenty of holy ghost to go (laughs) and it's it's not like adding water to paint to thin it out or thinner to paint. It doesn't get lighter in, in color and, and, and thinner in substance when you keep thinning it out. There's no, God's spirit doesn't get thinned out. 
he's God. He's infinite. He's beyond infinite. We're finite. So he puts a little bit of his infinite spirit inside of us. And we all have the same amount. Right? Just We don't use it. So we need to use it. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. It's so good to be here today and so thankful that Pastor Parker has given me the privilege to keep standing up here and groaning on in front of you. <laughs> so we're talking about, hallelujah, coming from the PI student in the back. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. She finished her last four classes for PI yesterday. Mm-hmm. Still a student. You got to remain a student, right? You got to remain teachable since she brought that up. Right? I'll never forget when I first got in church, this precious lady walked up to me and just out of the clear blue, she said something along the lines of, I just appreciate you, Brother DeMuth, and your teachable spirit. And I was a new convert, and I went, okay, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> it didn't click right away. But it, as I went on, it, it started understanding what she said. She saw that in the Spirit. So then it was like, okay, then I need to maintain that. If that's, if that's something that's in my nature, that's, that's in me, I don't need, because you can lose that. So I have tried to maintain in that spirit of being teachable, right? And you can always learn something new every day. It's like the guy that was teaching this in this audio book I was listening to on spiritual leadership, and this is kind of a farming principle. If you're not green and growing, you're ripe and rotting. So if you're not being, if you're not being teachable and receiving more, you're ripe and rotting. I don't want to be ripe and rotting. Amen? James 1, 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I don't want my religion to be vain. Without, you know, vain, without substance, without any purpose. Just vain. Just doing it to be doing it. If your religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I don't ever want to lose that spirit and that attitude of compassion for somebody else that's in a less fortunate situation than I am, whether it's in the physical or in the spiritual especially. I always want to be sensitive to the needs of other people. Right? They might not on the surface seem like they're even interested in the things of God, but down underneath there might be some kind of struggle going on. They might be laying in their bed crying every night. I want to remain sensitive to that. I want to remain teachable not only in the natural but in the spiritual. I want to remain teachable to the Lord that I'm not so set in my mindset and my ways that, that he can't show me something new. 
I don't know about you. Anybody ever in here receive revelation from God? You can show your hand if you want. Probably everybody in here, right? You've received some kind of revelation from God. If if, if all you've ever received is that Jesus is God, that's revelation. And that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, that's revelation. But I don't want to stop there. Right? I mean, he believes God's got more for you than what he's already showed you. He hasn't even, like the, the analogy of the, the guy in the boat sitting on top of the ocean in a rowboat, and all the revelation you have is represented by the water you can see. And all the water underneath of that that you can't see is representative of the revelation you haven't received yet. It's out there for you. Isn't that awesome? So in order to get that revelation, you've got to get out of the boat and dive deep. And that's when it gets scary. Now you've got to trust God, <laughs> kind of like a scuba gear. You've got to trust God to help you breathe and help you maintain yourself. So we're talking about pure religion. So when we were together last, we were talking about James 4, 1 through 2, and we discussed how that the context of what James was intimating to his fellow believers was really making reference to things that he had already touched on earlier in his final letter to the fellow believers. And after all, it was a letter. It was written in letter format in its original state and not as we have it today in the King James Bible. It didn't have verses and chapters and all that. It was just a letter. And it flowed like any personal letter would. Right? When somebody sits down to write you a letter, they're thinking of they're, they're, it's a very thoughtful thing. They're thinking about what they want to say. Right? And they want to get their words on paper. That's why they have you write papers in, in college and in PI. It's not just so that you can write a paper, but they want to see if you can take your thoughts and transfer it to paper and have it be understandable to the reader, right? It's okay if you want to write a book, but if you write a book and it's just a bunch of blah, 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 and, and it doesn't impact anybody, then you've just wasted all that ink and paper. So we, we want to make a difference. So that's what James was trying to do is make a difference. It was from his heart. He was in prison, and he was getting ready to to lose his life for the kingdom. So he was trying to give some last words of encouragement to the people of God. Right? So the readers of this letter, I would think, probably knew James personally. They'd probably sat at meet with him and fellowshiped with him about the kingdom. It wasn't from some lofty position. They knew James personally. So they, when, he was, when they were reading this stuff, they understood what he was talking about. He was probably, he could have been making reference to some things that he and they both together knew about. And so he had talked to them about maintaining their faith and enduring afflictions and all that came with being a believer in Jesus during that time. And he talked to them about temptations, about not just being hearers, but being doers of the word of God. And their faith had to be active and moving forward. He warned them about allowing their prejudices and human mindsets to get the best of them and ultimately to have a negative effect on the kingdom. He was talking to them about, in context, back before James 4, 1 1 and 2, this is what he was going over and talking to them about from his heart, right? So he talked about their faith, that it, it wasn't 
Basically, to me, what he said was faith isn't faith unless, unless there's action involved. Your faith without works is dead is what he said. You can say you have faith, and I can say I have works, but show me your faith by your works. Put some action. Put some legs on your faith. That's what he was telling them. He was saying that basically talk is cheap, right? You've heard that before. The religious Jews talked a good talk, but their walk revealed their true attitudes, mindsets, and motives. The religious Jews, the elite religious Jews, were all about one thing, themselves. They were up here, and everybody else was down here, and they wanted you to know that. And so James was trying to warn them because that spirit and that attitude was still prevalent because those same Jews were still around. And so he was warning them to not let those things creep back into the church. Into the, when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ, the, the, the believers. Don't let that stuff creep in. That's not what Jesus taught. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ? Isn't that what he said? So we're supposed to follow Paul's example. Who's following Jesus' example? And he didn't even know Jesus personally. But he told the church that. Paul did. Follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul was doing his utmost best to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and so was James. So he was, he was giving them last words of encouragement before he was on his way out of here. So he, among other things, he addressed the one thing that he knew that we all have a problem with, and that being our tongue, our words, if you will. This includes our thoughts because out of the abundance of the heart, finish that, the mouth speaking. Is that true? You might be putting on, as I say, putting on the dog and pretending to be one thing, but if something something else going on in your mind and your spirit, it's going to eventually come out of your mouth. Is that true? I'm not, I'm telling you that, I'm asking you. Is that true? Human nature, right? That's true. So we got to be careful what we're thinking about. It's what James was telling them. He reminded us that true wisdom doesn't come from our own futile human minds, but that it comes from God alone. Solomon, even King Solomon, asked God for wisdom. He, God told him, ask me whatever you will. And Solomon knew, as wise as he was, Solomon knew he didn't have enough wisdom to do the job. He was willing to admit that I don't have what it takes to get this done, so I'm going to ask God for wisdom. And what did God say? Because you asked for wisdom and not stuff to heap upon yourself, I'm going to give you the wisdom and the stuff you didn't ask for. Right? I'd rather have God's wisdom all day long than any amount of stuff. And if he chooses to bless me with stuff, and let me be a steward of the stuff he blesses me with, that's fine. I'm going to do my best to be a good steward of those things. But the ultimate thing I want is God's wisdom. I want to know. I want to have that spirit of discernment. I want to have that spirit that I can be in a group of people and discern when somebody's struggling with something, and I can be there to, to listen to the voice of God to tell me what to say to that person to, to be the, that, that catalyst to draw them in, right? Right? Because what did, what did Paul say 
that, God, that Jesus told him on, the, on that road to Damascus. He said, he, Paul in one account says that, that Jesus told him that I'm going to have you bring them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto the power of God. That's in Acts 26, 13 or something like that. So we got to get them. They're in darkness out there today. They're in darkness. Anybody ever been there? I'm going to raise my hand. I've been there. Thought, I, thought my religious ways were good enough and, and all that. And I found out I was wrong because I was in darkness. That's what, that was what was said about those Pharisees, wasn't it? Even to this day, this, there's a veil over their, their, their mind. They can't see because of that veil of religious tradition. Right? It's probably safe to say that nearly every human failure failure in the Bible can be traced back to man trying to handle things on their own and do it their own way. Would you say that's a true statement? If you look back, just think about David. Just think about Moses, Joseph, all these guys. David, what did David end up saying in Psalms 55? He acknowledged his sin. He said, I acknowledge my sin and is ever before me. He said, in thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And then he went on to say, a humble and a contrite spirit, O God, thou will not despise. David had to go through making his own decisions and making wrong decisions and bad decisions. And God allowed him to do that so that he would fall flat on his face so he could come back to that place just like Peter did. He tried to tell Peter, you're going to deny me. Oh, I'll never deny you. Jesus just smiled. It doesn't say that in the book, but I think Jesus just smiled and said, okay, we'll see. So about the third time he denied him, the thought came back. And in one, one scripture in the New Testament, it, it, G, P, Peter must have been there near where Jesus was because it said Jesus looked over at him like, see, I told you. Right? So, so we probably should be doing some daily examination. Right? Of ourselves, Not just on those times when we have communion and the pastor says, let's examine ourselves. We need to be examining ourselves every day. Uh, you know, I, want, I come to the Lord. What, what do you want me to do today? What is it about me that, that you need to work on? Let me know. Come before him humbly and say, I, if I'm doing stuff that's not what you want me to do, it's not according to your will, please let me know. Because I don't want to keep going down the same wrong road. And frustrating myself and probably frustrating the kingdom. Right? Didn't Jesus teach us and his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come? Thy will be done, which is implying not my will be done, not my kingdom come, yours. Your will be done, your kingdom come. What I want, what I think, what I care about doesn't matter, right? Shouldn't, right? Aren't his ways, the Bible says, above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts? That's what James is trying to tell the church. 
trying to encourage them. I'm trying to encourage you today. We don't know ourselves like we think we do. We really don't. And the scripture bears this out in Jeremiah chapter 17. Starting in verse 9 and going to 9 and 10 says, The heart, the inner man, who we really are deep down inside, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Not just wicked, but desperately wicked. That's pretty pretty bad. When you've got to add another adjective in front of wicked. And this is God talking through the prophet. Who can know it? And then what does he say in the very next verse? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. He created you. He tries your heart. He knows what you're thinking. We don't know. We can't. This scripture right here tells me that I can't really, I don't, as much as I think I know myself, I don't. And so James is trying to encourage the people of God. You are the ones that are carrying this kingdom forward. And so I'm helping you to get all the unnecessary stuff that's going to get in the way of the kingdom out of the way. Right? Does that make sense? So in James 4, 1 and 2, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Kind of a rhetorical question, isn't it? You know, did you ever notice when Jesus asked a question, he already knew what the answer was? Right? It's like a prosecutor or an attorney in a court A lot of times when they're asking questions of the witnesses, they already know what the answer is. They're just waiting to see if you're going to be truthful or lie. Right? So that's what this is to me. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? That in your members there is talking about the body. Within the body, your lusts that war with among you, among the members of the body? Do we have uh, disagreements and misunderstandings in the body of Christ among people? And it all comes back to one thing, our human nature, our flesh. What is the one thing that the enemy uses over anything else? No, he doesn't use blatant sin like drinking and drugs and all those kind of things in the church. What does he use? Division in the body. He'll get us fighting among ourselves talking about each other, right? Having each other for dinner. Not to dinner, but for dinner or lunch or whatever. And that's how he gets That's how he gets division stirred up in the body. And then he can just step back and let us just fight among ourselves. So we got to be sensitive to that. That's what James is saying. Don't let this stuff get in there. And he's saying here, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. I don't think he's talking about literally killing, but we can kill with our words, can't we? With our thoughts. Because thoughts become words, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You fight, you strive and dispute. Uh, in the Greek, that there's talking about you strive and dispute with words you fight and war yet you have not because you ask not because that's where you should have gone in the first place instead of fighting among each other we need to take it to god 
Not, God, what's wrong with my brother? God, what is wrong with my sister? No, no, no. Start at the root. (laughs) What's wrong with me? You help me get my spirit right. Maybe that's not, they're not the problem. Maybe I'm the problem. Right? That's what David was saying. Purge me with hyssop. Help me, God, to see my failings and my shortcomings because I know I'm probably the one that got in the way the most. Right? We get ourselves in trouble. That word war in those scriptures, it talks about desires and lusts which war against right principles and moral precepts. Right? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. That sounds like somebody that wants to be in control and have their own way, doesn't it? Does it? Don't, don't, you don't have to agree with me because I'm saying it. <laughs> if it's, it, But I believe it's true. If I know human nature, and I'm one, so I think I know a little bit. I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I know my human nature, right? As I said earlier, God's ways are not always comfortable and pleasing to our flesh. And that's by design. Isn't it? Because when we correct our kids, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me. <laughs> or you, re- you really needed this spanking or whatever, right? We hate punishing them, but we know they need it to help kind of direct their and get them in the right path, right? You've got to let somebody fall on their face so that they, they'll learn quicker from that than you trying to tell them and direct them everything they do, right? Now, I've been a parent. I didn't do it right 100% of the time. I made some mistakes, so I'm just going to use me as an example. It was hard for me to not let my sons fall on their face and make mistakes. I, the, the temptation of me and my wife was to run over there and help them and pick them up. And we do that when they're little, right? We go pick them up and, oh, it's okay. And we rub their little scrape on their knee and we kiss it and kiss the boo-boo and we go put a Band-Aid on it and tell them it's okay. And then they go out back out and play. But we can't do that when they're older because you're hamstringing them. You're, you're holding them back, right? They're never going to learn what this real world's like if you don't let them experience some pain. Right? You don't have to agree. So we're going to move right into the the next couple of verses. James continues to expound. And we left off with, you have not. You're fighting and warring and struggling among yourselves over silly stuff, and and you, you simply have not because you ask not. If you'd have just stopped and asked first, you wouldn't be going through all this mess. He's trying to help them to deal with the, the fighting among themselves so that they can be busy about the Father's business, which is what? Growing the kingdom, right? So James 4 and 3 says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Your motive is wrong. That you may consume it upon your lust, whatever it is that you set your heart upon. I added that part. Could that include wanting our own way? Absolutely. I'm getting a few of your heads. 
like this. So what is our motive when we go before the Lord, when we pray? What is our attitude and our motive when we go to the Lord? Are, are we concerned with our needs and our wants and our desires when we go before the Lord? Do we take a, a, a grocery list with us to the Lord and say, fix this, fix this, fix this? Or do we enter into prayer with our little to-do list and, and wait on God to answer our prayer, our to-do list? Or do we do we ever think to ask Him what He wants? Good way to start out, isn't it? Because He's God and we're not. What would you want me to do today, God? What? Who, what do you want me to say today, God? What do you want? I, I know, God, I got this little this schedule over here, but what would you have me to do today, God? And if it's contrary to my schedule, that's okay. Because if Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is that including in our prayer? And all these things, all this other stuff, will be added unto you. You'll have time for that other stuff. If you'll put his kingdom and him first and not come to him right off the bat with your laundry list, he'll take care of the rest. Didn't he say that we are not our own? That we were bought with a price? Sounds like slavery to me. That's what they did. They bought you as a slave and you were you were a purchased item. You didn't get to have a say. And he didn't pay money for us. He paid with his own blood. So do we belong to him? He don't belong to us. He's not our boy. If you want to look at it that way. Hey, I need something. Whew. James was telling his believers to be careful which side of a line they were falling on. Because there's two sides of that line. I don't know about you, but I want to stay on that line where I'm humble and contrite and I come before God humbly. And I know the Bible says come boldly before his throne, but I like to come before him humbly because he called me. He saved me. He delivered me. He's keeping me. I didn't save myself and I'm not saving myself. Because it's in him I live and move and have my being every day. If I wake up every day, it's because he let me. And so I'm, I became a part of his kingdom. He put his royal robe of righteousness on me and on you. So we owe it to him to be at his beck and call, whatever it is he would have to do. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says... This is a different disciple, but he's, he wrote letters to the church, and he, had, he was writing from the heart, too. These were letters that they were writing while they were in prison, while they were being imprisoned for the kingdom. These were letters they were writing, and he was writing to the church. And I'm sure that the church that James was responsible for was reading these same letters because these were letters that were written by man. These weren't a part of a book yet called the Bible. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, beseech, I'm begging you, by the mercies of God. We need the mercies of God. 
in order to get this thing done, right? We can't do it on our own. We need the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Not acceptable unto man. Not, not acceptable unto your friends. Acceptable unto God. Am I acceptable unto you, God? Is what I'm doing pleasing to you? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and the things that I do be acceptable in your sight. I'm not adding to the word there. But that's what the implication is. Let the things that I'm thinking about and saying be acceptable in your sight. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing means like renovation. Like you go and buy an 1840 house and you completely gut the thing and you go back in and you build new walls and you make it to be what you want it to be. You renovate it. It's never the same as it was before. When you restore a vehicle, it's not the same as it was the day. If it's a 1935 Chevy truck, it's not the same as it was when it came off the factory showroom floor in 1935, is it? You've updated it with more modern technology in the brakes and, and in the house that you build, and you've replaced the wiring and you've replaced the plumbing because it's old plumbing and it's old wiring and it's dangerous, and so you want to update it. So when God renovates us, we're not the same. We're different. We need to remember that. He did it. But we have to allow him. He's a gentleman. He doesn't, he's not going to force the Holy Ghost down your throat. You have to come to the altar to, into his presence and repent and receive the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. Right? And so it says here, by the renewing or the renovation of your mind. You've got to make it personal. You've got to allow him to renovate your mind. That's what the part about a willing sacrifice. I give up. <laughs> when they took a sacrifice to the altar, did the sacrifice fight? It was an animal. Maybe it did struggle. I don't know. But we're not supposed to struggle and fight. You know, that song, not my will, but thine be done. Right? That's, that needs to be our attitude, not just in words. That needs to be how we live. It's not my will. Jesus led by example, didn't he? Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And that was talking about going to a cross and being nailed to a cross and beaten beyond recognition and all the things that he went through. He, he agreed to all of that. And he's not asking us to agree to something like that. He's just asking us to agree to let him have his way in our life. Get me out of the way so that he can operate through me. Right? That you may prove or that you may try out. You've got to try it. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You've got to let God work in your life. If you're going to find out what his perfect will is, you can't keep inserting yourself. Because, to be honest, it was ourself that got us in trouble in the beginning. 
And so when we came to that altar of repentance, we said, self ain't getting the job done. I want you to come in and take over. We might not have said those words, but that's what we meant. Jesus, take control. There's a song called something about Jesus. Have we let Jesus take control? Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Right? Right? Have we let Jesus take the wheel? Or are we sticking our hands back on the wheel while he's trying to drive? If you were driving down the road and your wife decided to reach over and grab the wheel and help you drive, that would be a dangerous situation, wouldn't it? She's not sitting behind the wheel where you are, and she can't see the way you see the perspective, and so she might run you in the ditch or something. Right? So we don't do that in the natural. Right? We don't. So we got to be careful about that in the spiritual talks about renewing your mind that part that mind the word mind there means the organ of mental perception and apprehension of conscious life of the consciousness preceding actions consciousness of the consciousness preceding actions or recognizing and judging them intelligent understanding that's that's our understanding that's who we are because we are not our own anymore we're bought with a price. So it's what he says that rules. We don't, we don't, if you trump what God's will is to whatever extent or level with your own will and your own plans and your own whatever, is, is he going to push back on that? No, he's not. He's going to let you just go your way. He let David do it. He let Peter do it, right? He just let him go his way. And Peter couldn't look back and say it was Jesus' fault, could he? Jesus trying to warn him. He'll try to warn you. Don't go there. Don't go down that road. Stay away from that. But if you insist, he's going to step back and say, fine. I'll be looking over at you when you get just like he did with Peter. He doesn't say, I told you so. He looks at us with mercy and says, I'll take you back. So this talking about, this is talking about a different mindset and attitude than your own, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Let, let his thoughts be my thoughts, not my thoughts be his thoughts. Let his way be my way, not my way be his way, Right? When we let his thoughts become our thoughts and his words become ours, we will seldom have an issue with our tongue or our thoughts. Right? Getting the best of us. So James 4, 5 through 10, we're going to jump into that real quick here. Talking about pride, stubbornness, and double-mindedness. Do you think that the Scripture saith, verse 5, I'm sorry, starting in verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain the spirit, which is our human spirit, that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Do you think the scripture says that in vain? No. But he giveth more grace. Why? Because it's our human spirit. We need his grace. Right? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth, or he sets an army in array against the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. 
Like David said, a humble heart, O God, thou will not despise. Right? Be afflicted and be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Didn't we read a scripture in the in the, in the Old Testament that said, "Let your your sorrow be turned into joy and all"? It's kind of reverse of that, isn't it? But he's saying, "Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up." I would much rather the Lord lift me up than me me or man lift me up, right? promoting myself or letting man promote me i would rather let the lord promote me what does that scripture say in in i believe it's in psalm somewhere promotion doesn't come from the east west north or south where does it come from promotion comes from the lord so if the lord's promoting you he's already got a plan and purpose for whatever it is he's promoting you to whatever that is promotion can come in a lot of different forms can it Look at Jesus. He was promoted to the cross. Wow. That's a promotion. It was for him. Thank thank God he did that. He accepted that promotion. So when we are humble, that means that we are pliable in his hands. Kind of like some, I wish I had brought some soft clay and some hard clay. That's been sitting out some like Play-Doh that's sit out and dried all out and you can't form it and and it's not pliable anymore. Because when we're proud and haughty and arrogant and lifted up in ourselves, that's what we're like. We're like that clay that's all dried up and it can't be formed anymore. And what do you do with that? You throw it out. (laughs) Right? If you don't throw it at somebody, you'll hurt them. That stuff's hard, Right? So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be all hardened like that. I want to be teachable. I want to be pliable in his hands. I want to come humbly before him. That scripture in the Old Testament says that the the clay doesn't say to the potter how he ought to make it. Uh, Hey, Mr. Potter, this is the clay talking. Make me this way because this is the way I want to be. (laughs) The Bible says that the clay doesn't say anything to the potter. It just sits there on the wheel. And the potter turns the wheel and forms it the way he wants it right aren't we being made in his image and his likeness and that could mean something totally different for every person in this room because he has a destiny for everybody in this room to be something for his kingdom right he already knows what you're going to be it's up to you to just find that place lead me in the way that I ought to go lord show me the path that i need to take give me show me the gift that i have that i can be using for the kingdom and whatever that is do it with all your might right there's a guy named gamaliel in acts 4:34 through 39 we don't have to go there but he's one of the pharisees and uh, some of the disciples had been brought before the the, the sanhedrin the pharisees cuz they were preaching jesus right And so this guy warns his brother and his fellow Pharisees. He says, he tells them to be careful about what they do to this Jesus, these Jesus followers. Lest they be found to fight against God. And we just read that up here in verse 6. It says, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That word resisteth is talking about the concept of setting an army in array against. So God is setting an army in array against 
He resisteth the proud. He's setting an army in array against you when, when you're prideful and arrogant and all these things. And I'm not saying you as in pointing at anybody. Just us in general. So we got to be careful about that spirit of pride. The, the, the book of Proverbs is just chock full of wisdom on how to deal with that. Talking about pride and arrogance and all those things, right? When we get to our, when we get, when we can get ourselves to be in a place where we are devoid of self, when our wants and desires don't matter, then He will lift us up and use us for His glory, and do, He'll have us do things we never thought we could do. It, it was impossible in the eyes of those people that that Red Sea could be parted. They were they were trapped. And when you think you're trapped, God's always got a way out. You know. What that scripture says, he'll always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He'll he'll let you go through some stuff, but he'll always he knows what your where your limitations are. He created you, he made you. He's not going to punish you, but he's going to let you go through some stuff to help you. I would rather go through some stuff knowing that it's going to help purge some stuff out of me and make me ready for the kingdom than to not and miss out right it doesn't feel like sometimes like like it's god a god of love helping you through this because it's a struggle we don't like it it's uncomfortable it doesn't make us feel good but he worked it's all things together for good right to them that love god and all things all things everything every good part and every bad part all things right So do you think that it was just James was trying to get across, that this was what he was trying to get across to believers? He simply wanted them to be able to be all that they could be for the kingdom. That was his, that was his really, in my estimation, his, his goal was trying to help them to be the very best that they could be for the kingdom. And they understood that, and they received that. And they got this letter, and I'm sure they passed it to other believers, and, and these letters made the rounds. And it didn't just happen. He didn't send it as an email. It had to be carried by somebody from the prison, wherever he was, to them. So it may have been a couple of months. But God used this man, just this simple, humble man, to speak to a people then, but he's speaking to us today through the Scripture. Father, we thank you today for this simple man named James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. We thank you that he had a heart for your kingdom. We thank you that he, had, uh, that he listened to your voice to write this letter, Lord Jesus, and to write these words, that they, these words could come down through time to our day, Lord, and be, be words of encouragement and the words to strengthen and, and let us know, Lord, where we, where we might fall short of your glory, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for these words today that have come into this place to minister to us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that man being sensitive and writing these words. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every life and within the sound of my voice today. Lord, I pray that some, anything, something that I've said today has been an encouragement to somebody in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.